One God, Amen. The fasting is started, or starting, from now till pretty much August. Uh, eat well tonight, without gluttony, of course. Um, the readings for the fancy word for this weekend is the pre-Lent take, leave-taking, um, is the most equivalent English uh, expression for the refah. Um, and the church has put for us a whole combination of readings to help put us in the mindset of what we're supposed to be doing and what this fast is about. Um, so I want to go through the, the readings from last night till today just to put together what it is we're supposed to, um, to be doing in this season. Because if you enter Lent and leave it the same way, then you've done something wrong. Your, end, your exit from Lent should not be how you entered Lent. If you did, then there's something very missing. So yesterday evening's The, the Vespers Gospel is an interesting one, um, where a group coming, as usual, to test Christ, bring up an incident where the government, where Pilate has killed a bunch of Jews. And they ask Christ, why do you think these people died? Is it because of their sins? And they're trying to trap him because they want to see what political side he's going to be on. Is he going to say the Romans because they're their occupiers and say, yeah, they were right? Or is he going to say, yes, it was their sins and, and show bias in the other way? And so Christ one-ups them and says, yeah, yeah, it's not just that incident. There's another incident in Siloam. And he goes, but I'm not even going to answer your question. He goes, because if you don't repent, you will all likewise perish, right? And he just completely sidelined it and dakhifin muhim, right? And entered the most important thing. Where the message there is being saying repent. And again, put in mind, we're getting the ingredients that we're looking at for, for the fast. This morning's uh, reading in Matins, um, I like when we see the disciples very authentic, um, with Christ, where Christ says to them, if your brother wrongs you, it's not wrong to tell them that they wronged you, right? He says, if, if your brother wrongs you, you may rebuke him. You can say, hey, I'm, I'm bothered, I'm hurt, I'm offended. There's nothing wrong with that. However, it says that if your brother recognizes his wrong, forgive him. Right? No stipulations, no howevers, just forgive him. He said, in fact, if he sins seven times in a day and each time comes back and says, I'm sorry, you must forgive him that many times. And the disciples, we, we often look at this passage just in the faith as a mustard seed part, but the part where they say give us his faith is about the forgiveness. It wasn't about for them doing a miracle. They're saying that's really tough. They're like, I don't want to, like, most of us, if somebody comes seven times in the same day with the same thing, we'd be like, yeah, I'm a man, I'm a right? Like, yeah, one time, two times, okay, seven times in the same day, nefs in old war, right? They get upset, right? And so they said to Christ, like, this is really tough, right? Because we would rather tell them off, right? Or cut them off or do something. And so they're saying, like, give us this faith, give us this trust, this, this loyalty that we're willing to do something like this. And Christ points out to them, actually, 
faith, if you had it, is actually ridiculously simple. If you had it, you'd be able to tell a mountain move and it would move, which as we saw with Muqattam has happened. But what he's trying to say is that it's tough for you because you made it complicated. It's not because it's actually tough. Because you've turned forgiving into something complicated as though someone owes you something. Whereas it's actually very simple. Somebody said I'm wrong, you just say it's okay. You've made it personal. You've made it something that you think about. Um, doing things like forgiving, he's kind to say, shouldn't mean some sort of praise because you're doing what you ought to do. That's why he says a good servant, when they've done what they do, says we're unprofitable servants who have done which is our duty to do. And he's not saying just like this form of self-hatred, right? Imagine if... Um, a pharmacist comes home from work, they're the best kind of people, and says, oh my, I dispensed prescriptions today. I spoke to patients. I dealt with physicians. Right? Many of us would be like, isn't, isn't, isn't that what you do? Right? Like, what are you looking for? Are, are we supposed to say, yeah, gada. Like, bravo, like, right? It's, it's, that's what pharmacists do. Right? And saying, so why would you be looking for praise for that? It's you've done, that was what your duty to do. So you're saying this forgiveness, these acts of faith is what you're supposed to be, right? That these righteous acts are, are who we are. Then when we go into the Pauline epistle, which is Abuna David's specialty, 2 Corinthians, um, is this passage where St. Paul looks like he's showing off, but he's not, right? But the point of this reading here is not the context of the letter, where... But first, before I say that, so we saw ingredient number one from Vespers, repentance, right? Ingredient number one from, number two from Matins is forgiveness, reconciliation, okay? And then in number three, St. Paul is saying, and of course, we're going to suffer, right? And he talks about all the things that he went through for the sake of the gospel, right? The stonings, the shipwrecks. Um, the humiliations, the different things that he's gone through, because ingredient number three, as we're going to get to, is hard work, right? Deeds of, of righteousness, intentional work. Then in the Catholic epistle from St. Peter, um, he gives us the kind of work that we're focusing on during Lent, right? And he says, godly living through the knowledge of God gives us the escape from corruption. It's what helps us repent, right? And he says, these are the ingredients for that. Add to your faith, your belief, goodness, right? To your goodness, add knowledge, right? It's not enough to just do good things, and you need, we need to understand it. So add to it, knowledge. When you get the knowledge, you'll be able to work on self-control, right? With the self-control, You'll learn perseverance. With your perseverance, then you'll actually become godly. This thing that you were trying to get will become real for you. And when you have this real godliness, what will come out of you? Brotherly affection and love. And he says, not having these things is blindness. He says, but having these things means you won't stumble. Right? So he tells us what it is exactly that we're working on, which we'll come back to. Then in the Acts of the Apostles, the Praxis, there is a major conflict in the early church about converts from non-Jewish 
um, roots are supposed to do, whether they should follow the cultural rituals of the Jews or not. And it was a big contentious issue among the believers and also among the apostles themselves. It was always a fight, right? And so then Paul goes back to Jerusalem and the, you know, the apostles say, you know what, let's, let's have a meeting and let's discuss this, right? And so they agreed together that the most important thing was faithfulness to God, which is what we're worried about during this fast. And they say those things that were culturally understood to be in some form a participation in false worship, to abstain from those things, and to look at righteous works instead. I'm abbreviating it. But this meeting resulted in reconciliation, again, not just between the apostles who are fighting, right? As we know, St. Peter and St. Paul had a very big public fight about this issue, right? But also among the people they were serving, right? That they were also divided over these things. And if you look carefully, even at the passage that we read, Paul even submits to having some Gentiles do things that he didn't prefer for the sake of peace, right? That reconciliation is not just uh, say nice things, it's do it, right? Of saying that he's, he's submitting to me, if this is going to calm or appease my brother, let me just do it. Right? Is putting the other before me. And that brings us to the gospel. And the gospel focuses on, I'm going to say two categories, but it's really one that the other things can fall under, of works of righteousness, including fasting, and the other one is prayer. And when we say righteousness here, that's old speak for rightness, of being right. And when I say being right, I mean not about just opinion. I mean be-ing, proper existence, right living, right? That because we are designed, the only thing that can give something its proper form and, and, and function is the designer, right? And when the thing that is designed functions properly, it functions rightly. Right? When it goes against its design or is used against its design, it malfunctions or breaks. Right? And so he is saying, our Lord is saying, you need to do right things and to be rightly. Right? These works of righteousness. And so being righteous or being right, being right, is not about being nice. Many people do nice things, but that's not what makes them right, right? The source of the rightness is the designer, right? It's not, it's not randomness. One person could think it's okay to steal, they think it's right, right? Another person might think it's right to lie because they've evaluated it. And so we really need to conform the right thing to the gospel of truth. And the church now, as we said, is giving us the ingredients to this season. That fasting is not just abstaining from food and public showiness, which we're going to get into these specific ways that God looked at, but it comes with a program of repentance, prayer, and charity. Charity meaning not just the giving of money, but of good deeds, of right living, of giving to others over ourselves. There must be charity in your fasting. So he goes into three sections. The first one is saying, be careful to not make your charitable giving before other people. Don't make your acts of giving extremely public, right? And in this passage, what you might not realize, he's referring to a very specific thing when he's talking about the charity that some of the Jews used to do. 
Some of the Jews, you've probably seen the chosen or the, the passion, the, the, the clothing of people in that time. It's not that different from what we wear today. Some of them used to sew coins to the back of their galabayas, right, to the back of their robes, so that they could allow any of the beggars to be able to just take money off their back. But of course, that looks weird, right? So everybody can be like, oh, wow, look at that generous person who puts coins on their backs that people can take from them. And not just that, the money would jingle when they walk. So everyone could hear them, right? When they walk by, I'm like, oh, look at those beautiful, generous people, right? And so Christ is looking at that and he's saying, don't do that, right? That's, that's, not, that's not what it's about. He says that if you, if you do that, you've already had your reward. And it reminds me, I just... It reminds me of, of the online donations where they ask you, do you want to make your name public when you've donated, right? And I've always wondered, what does it mean if you actively say yes, right? Where you're saying, yes, I would like my name out there, that I do want everybody to know that I gave, right? It's, 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 it's worth questioning ourselves for. And Lord is saying they got the reward, but it's not because doing good is for a reward. That's not even what he's trying to say. Right? He's saying that person who is giving wasn't giving rightly. Giving is itself right. It's not, I give because I'm going to get something. He's saying, but they distorted it. They made it about the reward. They made their giving about the show. So he's saying, since they, they, they turned it on its head, gave it a new meaning, in this new meaning that they gave it, they were doing it for reward, they got it. Right? Mission accomplished for them. But that's not what it's about. So he's saying, so when you give, don't do it like that. Right? He goes, when you give, don't make a big show because it is not about the reward. It's not about the praise of men. It's because it's right. And he says, and as an added bonus, not even for why you do it, don't worry. God who sees your acts in secret will also look towards you and he'll work openly. Because for God, it's a different thing. And our Lord even says, try and be blind to what you're doing if possible. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Right? I had a, a friend, and this is, again, I want to emphasize, I'm not saying this is how to give. The, the church also gives to the poor. But I had a friend that I grew up with that when I was serving California, moved to NorCal for a brief period for a job. And he's like, when I don't have a church here yet, I'm living in a whatever area, could I give you money to give to those who think need it, right? He's known me long enough. I'm not saying go to Abuna and hand him cash. That's not the message, right? But he wanted to give blindly, right? I use it in a different thing. Okay, Mark, here's the thing. Could you give me an envelope where I don't even want to know how much is in it or what's in it and random bills? Whenever I see a person on the street, this is how I'm going to use it. I'm just going to hand them whatever comes up from the top. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to count. I'm not even going to measure. That way, you're giving anonymously. Your left hand doesn't know you're right. And so am I, because it's not my money. There's nothing for me to boast. I didn't, I didn't give my money, right? But of looking at different ways of how can we make sure that we are giving. In the parish, one of the parishes that I served at in California, it was really beautiful that there was one woman in the church who said, when I don't have any particular, in her view, service skills. She said, but I love to cook, right? There was a person in our parish that was very needy. Um, financially needy, and so she would cook for him as her, as her gift, right? She had no idea it was a him or a her or for whom, just dropped the church off, the food at, at the church, and he would have private access to come in and take the food. Again, her left didn't know the right, and vice versa. 
is look for ways to not be loud about what you do. Then he moves into prayer. And again, he says, don't show off. Right? Don't make this dramatic show of your prayers. Right? And he, the Jews had ritual prayers, even as we do, like what we're doing right now. And he didn't say, don't do those. He said, don't show off when you do those. Right? Imagine if every time you're like, oh, I'm so torn up. I, I'm always 15 minutes early for liturgy, and today I arrived two minutes before. Right? And it's just like, why are you saying that? That we can all say, wow, in Tiptiki Bedri? Right? Is that the point of what you're doing? Right? Of being like, oh man, I, I, just, I just wish, and we put in these things that we're saying to get attention. Right? He's saying, don't be showy. Right? It can also be like the, you know when you're being fake, right? When you're praying. Don't be fake. Right? Are you doing this because you're sincerely talking to your father who's in heaven? praying with your family members, or are you putting up a show? Um, in the ritualistic prayers that we do, we're coming together as a family to address him collectively. We're having family time around our father in various ways and for different purposes, depending on which prayers that we're doing together. And they have different functions. And if we understood that that's what it is, nobody would be like, oh, wow, look, I'm talking to dad. It's like, yeah, we all are. Right? There's, you're not, there's nothing special that you did. We all, we all are. We're coming to that together. Um, and this is what happens when we misuse something right. When we misuse something that's right, it's no longer about rightness. It becomes about our ulterior motives. Right? And that's why we have to have a clean inside. This is where the repentance comes in. Why am I doing this? Right? Because maybe the thing I'm doing is itself a good thing being done for evil purpose. Right? And that is what we need to be attentive to. Imagine if, if you saw a kid who looked so sad and broken, and you saw the kid, you noticed, but you didn't care. Or then in walks somebody that you want to impress. And then suddenly, you're Habibi Ta'ala, right? and you're acting all compassionate. And it had nothing to do with the kid. It had nothing to do with because you should have looked at this kid. It was because you wanted to impress someone else. What you did is no longer pure. Right? It doesn't matter that the kid got the comfort. Right? It's, it's that you actually were abusing this child. Right? Now you're using this child as your tool to manipulate someone else. Right? And Christ is saying, don't use right things the wrong way. And that's why I said, don't have vain repetition. Right? And the, van, the, the problem was not the repetition. Because immediately after saying, don't use vain repetition, he says, when you pray, and he gives the Our Father. Right? And says, repeat this prayer. So the issue is not the repetition. Right? It's the vanity um, of it. Be clean in your prayers. Right? Um, and know that when he gave us the prayer of the Our Father, especially because it's, it's, it's Lent, the um, Kitali, that is because it's Lent. The only Tali that Christ gave, the only kind of, of zooming in that he made after giving the Our Father in this passage was forgiveness. He says, because if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. How are you approaching as a family while you're at odds with your siblings? Right? It's like you, you, you've ruined our communion by doing that. Right? So he's saying, so you must reconcile if you want to talk to dad. Right? Because these people around us, all of us, 
we're siblings because of dad. Dad is never going to be okay with the fact that we're at war with each other. Right? He's not like, oh, man, they love to fight. That's them. No, fix it. Right? He's saying that that's necessary. And so today in particular is what the church often calls the Sunday of Reconciliation. That you cannot begin the season of Lent without reconciling. That if there's anybody that you're not at peace with, you need to reach out and say, hey, for anything that I've wronged you in, I ask your forgiveness. Right? And make it not weird. We used to do this growing up all the time. Our priest had taught us this, so our whole youth crew, this became a thing even with my siblings. Right? Where we would have regularly at, at the beginning of Lent, whether it's a message or in person of being like, hey, are we good? Is there anything that we've done? Or even a general thing of being like, hey, if there's anybody here that I've wronged and don't even know that I've wronged, I'm asking forgiveness that I can enter with purity into the season so that I can grow from it. Right? It doesn't matter if the other person doesn't receive your apology, that's on them. Right? But it's on you to say, I'm sorry. If anything that I've done is wrong, I'm just sorry. Right? That's all that there is. Um, to it. And if you all do it, it makes it less weird and uncomfortable for it to happen, right? Or just saying, hey, we're entering land, then this is what we're supposed to do. So we're reconciliation with one another and reconciliation with God. Lent, as we said, is a season of, of repentance. That was the first ingredient. So reconciliation with God, right? My priest used to tell us growing up, try and choose your birthday date, right? From 1 to 31. And, and on that day, go confess, but go reconcile with God. Right? At, least, at least once um, during Lent, confess, if not twice. And obviously, your repentance towards God on a daily basis towards him, which means the changing of mind, of saying, let me fix what's wrong and align with what's right. Let me be right again. Um, and finally, the third section is the fasting. It says, when you fast, fast happily. Fast without being showy. Right, where he's like, don't make your face long. And be like, oh, it's just that I'm trying to abstain till three o'clock this year where you're showing off again, right? Or what can I do like this fast does this and this and this to me? He's saying, don't do that. Lent is the spiritual boot camp for the year, okay? It's the season that most of us love and dread at the same time, right? The same feeling that many of us get of going to the gym, of being like, I'm gonna hate this and I'm gonna love what it does. Right? I'm not going to like being on a treadmill. I'm not going to like the diet, but I'm going to like what it does. Right? And so I'm persevering because it's right. I'm not persevering because it's fun. Believe it or not, it can become fun, um, but the goal isn't fun. So if it's not fun, no problem. Right? We're not trying to, to trick you into liking it. So fast with your body. And by that, and we're going to talk about not just that, but ab abstinence and actual fasting food. I don't know why abstinence has gone out of fashion, but we should be fasting. And especially in a generation that's really big on intermittent fasting, that I'm struggling to understand why people hate normal fasting so much, right? But we're taking out something and focusing on something else, right? By drawing attention away from the food, it gives me time to do something else. Try and avoid the fake stuff where you can, the makarona bil bashamel. Um, the, the fake recipes, the, all the impossible stuff. I'm not saying they're wrong, but I'm saying if all you've done is change ingredients, then, you, then I don't know what the goal is for you, right? Some people hate that stuff, and if you hate it, great, then eat it, right? But if it's, if it's because I just want there to be no change, then we need to consider why we're doing it, right? Fast from, from, from those things. In the early church, it was, they didn't have fridges, they didn't have freezers, 
right? So like they didn't, they didn't have all this stuff that we have. When they fasted, it was very paleo-ish, right? It was these raw foods, these whole foods, because it meant very little work towards food, right? So fast from food, fast abstaining, and fast from the stuff that distracts, right? Fast from social media, fast from um, your streaming platforms, fast from, from anything that you do a lot of and make it profitable, right? And because you'll realize how much time you put towards it and spend it in almsgiving. Almsgiving not just in terms of money, but almsgiving in terms of spending time with other people and in other ways, whether it's with God directly in private prayer, whether it's with your family, whether it's with and get, get out there and, and, and serve, right? If you're a Sunday school teacher, ask about your kids. Maybe Teton and Giddo go visit them, play Taula, play Kuchina. I'm not even saying go stand, hold hands, and pray Agbeya. If you do, great. But, the, but spending time that's not selfish, right? Get to know your kids, get to know your parents, get to know your friends, right? Do something that gives, that's not taking, that's not selfish even in your time. Fast from your favorite sin, whatever that might be, right? Use Lent as a time of saying, no, I'm going to actually fight now, right? If you do these things, you'll come out of the other side in a different way, right? If you chose even two things and focus on the whole entire time, right? Of saying, you know what, I gossip, this Lent, I'm gonna practice not gossiping the whole entire time, right? It's not just, we always tend to think of just sexual sins when we talk about repentance. Every kind of sin, right? Do I lie a lot? Am I disrespectful? Am I angry, right? I'm gonna fast from these during this period. When we do this, if we take this, the reconciliation, starting with today, the repentance, the charity and the prayer, we will come out on the other side more in the image and likeness of our God who suffered with us and for us, who died literally for us, and we will find ourselves risen anew with him on the Holy Feast of Resurrection. To him, our God, be glory now and always into the age of all ages. Amen.